0: You're listening to the Asking for a Friend podcast, an elder-led ministry at Believer's Baptist Church in Emory, Texas. The Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and knowledge of God's people. My name is Jason Rowland. I'm the senior pastor of Believer's Baptist Church and one of the elders, and joining me on the podcast today is Philip Castleton, another one of our elders. We want to thank everyone who is listening in, wherever you may be, and whoever you may be, may the Lord bless this podcast to you as a means of grace for your spiritual growth. Philip, this past Sunday on April the 25th, we always, we we have a practice in our congregation uh, to do the Lord's Supper. And we just did the Lord's Supper. And then this coming Sunday um, that we are um, um, coming to, which will be May the 2nd, we're recording on April the 27th. But this coming Sunday, we're going to do baptism. We get the privilege to uh, baptize, I think there's 10 of them. And so there will, that will be uh, a part of uh, the body coming together and supporting these who are being baptized, but it is one of the ordinances that is set aside for the church to participate in, and the Lord's Supper is one of those ordinances as well. And that's what we want to talk about in this podcast. Why should, or rather, how should we understand the Lord's Supper? How should we understand the Lord's Supper? And... <clears throat> Probably if we were going to um, take some of the typical text uh, involving the Lord's Supper, we would use the Gospels, Matthew 26, and uh, we could go to the end of John and Mark and Luke and see um, that Last Supper that Jesus had with the disciples. But I, I want us to consider what Paul says in First Corinthians chapter 11 to help us to answer this question and to uh, flesh it out and give it some meaning and perhaps even go all the way back to the Old Testament uh, in Exodus chapter 12 to give it its basis, its perspective. Like the Passover
1: text. Yeah. Uh, well, I was going to say that Hebrews 10 has some things to say about it too, okay. I Good. think, specifically, at least, and how we should understand what was particular... Uh, about the sacrifice in the Old Testament, which what it provided for, and what christ's provision makes in the New Testament, and the fact that both of them are meant to bring something to mind okay let, let because it says let 's do this in remembrance right? right it says that go ahead well let let me go back to exodus yeah. just to make reference to the first
0: passover, yeah. And then you can bring in the Hebrews uh, understanding of that. So in Exodus chapter 12, the nation of Israel had been slaves in Egypt. They're about to be released because of the power of God displayed through all the plagues. And the last plague is going to be uh, the death of the firstborn of all those who did not put the blood of a lamb on their doors, doorposts and thresholds. And so the Lord in verse 12, verse 1 of chapter 12 of Exodus said to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. and then they were to take blood from the lamb they were to put it on their door doorposts and on the lintel of their houses and then the death angel would come through the land and pass over their house because their people who were in that house were covered by the blood and in verse 14 of chapter 12 of Exodus God says, this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So even as we come to the New Testament and Jesus has been a obedient, righteous Jew, keeping the law perfectly. He has observed the Lord's Passover all of his life or the Passover all of his life. And when he come to the last supper with his disciples, he gives it a new change. He twists it. It makes it about Him, He being the ultimate, the final Passover lamb. But but your text in Hebrews says something. It,
1: it does. Well, I, first of all, I'm so tempted to chase a rabbit right here because... Um, I'm teaching through John, uh-huh. and in John chapter two, the Lord cleanses the temple, but it doesn't call it the Lord's Passover like it does in chapter twelve. It calls it the Jews' Passover, uh-huh. and I think because they had made such a perversion of what was going on in the temple, and it's interesting that if you, in that in that Exodus twelve passage, one of the things that was required of them was from them on day one to remove all leaven from their house. Yes, that's for right. seven days they couldn't. Well. Chapter 2 of John, when they're at the Jews' Passover, and what is required of a, during Passover but to remove leaven from the house? And what does Jesus do? He removes the people from the temple. He cleans yep. out the sin from the house, hmm. his father's house. Hmm. Interesting connection, huh? It, it
0: is. It
1: anyway, is. I, that's a yeah. rabbit. But, but nevertheless. But, but, but in following up with that, uh-huh.
0: Um, we didn't talk about that since you mentioned the unleavened bread and and the the, the actual Passover would have particular pieces and things that represented uh, this great exodus that God was bringing about for the nation. This redemptive work that he was doing through the people being released from slavery and bondage in Egypt. Um, there were all these different pieces, cup and her- bitter herbs, yeah. unleavened bread. Uh, The sayings that were said, the songs that were sung, Mm -hmm.
1: all of those had um, reason for the Passover meal. Well, and even then, when Paul talks about the self-examination that he gives in in 1 Corinthians 11, really, in essence, that's a reference back to the removing leaven. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you you were supposed to deal with your heart and and the manifestations of sin in you. I mean, in a real sense, it's it's going back to that. In fact, it's so interesting that in I think it's First Corinthians chapter six, he actually tells them remove the leaven because God, Christ our sacrifice, um, has, he's our Passover Lamb. Um, I know what you're referencing. I, I didn't think it was in First mm-hmm. Corinthians chapter six. This is where we need to be talking before we come on air so we can understand. Yeah, but, these but the thing is, is he actually makes that, and maybe it's in 2 Corinthians. No, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And it's, um, here it is in verse 6. Your boasting's not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are really unleavened, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Right. Right. So here's the same picture. I mean, the connection to the Passover with self-examination and cleansing. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Get rid of the sin. Mm -hmm. Do away with it because Christ has been sacrificed. Now, Back to the connection in Hebrews, um, one of the texts that gives us this final feast, right, is in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where we read, this is my body, for, for, uh, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Well, if we go over to Hebrews, and, and, and uh, this is so interesting to me, in chapter 10, it says, for, the sins, or, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities it can never by the same sacrifice that are continually offered year after year make perfect those who draw near what do you think he's talking about but this this passover lamb right mm. it can't actually perform what it's foreshadowing it's only uh, it's only a shadow not the substance it's only a type right Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscience of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a what? A reminder. reminder of sins every year. The fact that the Passover lamb had to be killed every year, it was only a reminder that they didn't actually meet the needs of the people. But, verse 5, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, but a body. So here, all those things didn't mean anything. It's my body, my perfect work. That's what you've desired. So I'm going to skip ahead so we don't read the whole thing. But um, look down at verse 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily at his service, offerings repentance, Offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until the enemy should be made a footstool of his feet. For by one single sacrifice, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Here's my point. The text that we always use in 1 Corinthians 11 says that what we're to remember is that once for all sacrifice. Mm-hmm that his body was broken, Uh that his blood was spilled, and that it satisfied once for all time the needs of his people. Uh What is interesting about Hebrews is it says that there was a reminder in the old sacrifice too, Uh but it was a reminder that your sins were still upon you. Uh The Passover lamb constantly pointed to, you're sinful and you need a savior what we have a reminder of now with Christ's sacrifices is that the Savior came and he provided for us a perfect sacrifice. So the connection between those two is the reminder. <clears throat> the old sacrifice had a reminder. You need a Savior. You're still in your sins. Mm-hmm. The new covenant, what we're supposed to remind, what we do, our Passover lamb, provides for us a reminder. Our sins have been dealt with. Right. They are cleansed. They are gone. So that's the point I was I was wanting to bring forth. That's good. What does it mean? It means that Christ fulfilled the shadows of the Old Testament sacrificial system and did what they couldn't do.
0: Right, and the fact that Jesus says to um, the apostle Paul in a direct revelation, um, "This this is my body, which is uh, given for you." Or torn for you or broken for you um, do this in remembrance of me so that when we actually take the bread that represents the body of Jesus um, we're, we're reminded that that Jesus was incarnate in a body right that he lived a righteous life in the body that he suffered in a body that he died in a body that he was raised raised again bodily right um, and so we're to remember that sacrifice in that sense. And then, of course, um, Jesus would say to Paul that um, this is the cup of the new covenant and in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, so that we're remembering that the shedding of blood, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Yeah. So that sacrifice comes um, because um, it provides for us a covering. That, that blood provides for us a, a, a remission of our sin. Uh, it, it satisfies the wrath of God.
1: Yeah. It brings propitiation. It, it does for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, whether we do that um, weekly or, or bi monthly or monthly or quarterly or whatever, um, we, are, we are saying here is a visual uh, gospel presentation. Of the once for all sacrifice, the once for all, uh, uh, like you said, bodily sacrifices, which is exactly what Hebrews ten said as well. Right. We've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, mm-hmm. right? So where it's a visual representation of the broken body and the blood spilled. So we see the gospel in in physical, tangible f- form. Right. There's a there's a, been a lot of uh, misunderstanding
0: about the Lord's Supper through the years, obviously, and. Uh, there's the Roman Catholic uh, doctrine of uh, transubstantiation, mm-hmm. uh, that the bread and the cup actually become the literal body and literal blood of Jesus. Right. Um, and then um, there's been other ways that the um, um, Lord's Supper has been um, uh, understood or misunderstood. And, and I think for Baptists, uh, and that's what we are, we're, we're Southern Baptists, um, for us— uh, we understand that the bread is symbolic of the the body, and that the um, cup is symbolic of the blood, and and it's it's nothing more than that, is it?
1: The well, there are even Baptists who, who might differ. Some would believe that there is there is some kind of real presence that, that even though they wouldn't say that it actually becomes the body, I don't necessarily, I don't think I hold that view. I do believe this is a means of grace right. in the sense that the gospel is grace. And, and we can, it, whether we're articulating the particular uh, fine points of theology on on the doctrine you know that is that is uh, made clear through the sacrificial and substitutionary work of Christ vicarious substitution and all that I mean uh, that's gracious but also when we just see um, what God died for the church together celebrating this this broken um, the, the brokenness of his body and the spilling of his blood by taking the bread and the cup to, I think that that, from my perspective, I think that is as far as it goes. But it's a means of grace as we 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 learn, we think, we meditate upon what Christ has done. I don't I don't hold some kind of mystic view at all right. on, on and, the elements.
0: Yeah, and, that, and that's what I'm referring to. I mean, and I think there's a Lutheran um, understanding of the of the uh, Lord's Supper that that um, says that the body and the blood of Christ are to be substantially present I'm not
1: sure exactly what that means um, yeah I I don't either and I'm not studied too hard into that and man. I think the reason is is because I think sometimes people get lost in the weeds it says here do this in remembrance of me right um that's all it says I mean do this in remembrance I think that if God had intended us to 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 do more than um then understand this as a visual means of understanding what took place mm-hmm. then he 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 would have said more about it he doesn't right. so um now uh, maybe that's a naive way of looking at it i'm happy for um any uh lutheran any protestant that has a different view um to uh contact me and let's talk about it. I'm, I'm willing and able to um, have those discussions and, and actually encourage anybody that has a different view to contact me. I'm, I will take those conversations. I am not afraid of your conversations. <laughs> I like them. So uh, contact me. But, well, uh, but that is the view I hold.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why I even brought it up because I think that um, we just want to be clear as to what our view is and and how we try to represent that uh, view faithfully in uh, our congregation, yeah. and uh, I think that we um, are definitely in agreement on our understanding of it. Um, in the context of First Corinthians 11, well, I made a comment that Paul says in verse 23: "For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that He was betrayed took bread." and then it it goes from there but so what what i'm what i'm looking at and how i understand that is that first corinthians would have been an early letter of paul um probably even before the completion of the gospels so that by direct revelation paul received what the formula is what the right way to um, participate in the lord's supper and that's what he's communicating i receive from the lord And I deliver it now to you, Corinthians, but it's something that we understand to be applicable to um, this very day, the way that Paul lays it out. And he actually, in the context, does a rebuke of the Corinthians.
1: Yeah, who had uh, had used it as an opportunity for, um, well, like they did everything else, to self-glorify and self-promote. They were they were um, um,
0: leaving people out. The the Lord's Supper in that context would have been done in the context of a church wide meal, and uh, people were being left out. It seemed that there was division, uh, that rich was divided from the poor, or perhaps the Jew was divided from the Gentile. So it was creating um, divisiveness within the congregation, and, and some were even getting drunk within the context of the fellowship so that Paul's rebuking them and trying to set it right and straight. That's why he
1: gives them these particular and, you know, it seems to me that um, this would have been a fine opportunity with the abuse of, of, of the supper going on for Paul to say, you have misunderstood. This is what this stands for. This is w- the importance. This is. And he could have given all the, the doctrinal uh, detail there, but he doesn't. Right. What he says is stop that foolishness when you come together you you take the cup you take the bread right and you do that in remembrance of his broken body and his spilled blood right and you do it having removed the leaven from your own heart right right like the passover you do that having examined yourself coming to it um uh you know faithfully and and having uh, considered what? Why the? Why the Savior had to go to the cross in the first place, which was your sin. Don't stay in your sin. Right. And
0: you remember too, as Paul says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Yeah. So you you are looking forward, you're looking past to the redemption that has been provided, but you're also looking forward to the glorification, the ultimate end of that redemption.
1: Yeah, and I think that's, um, this is the mandate to continue it um, beyond the Corinthians.
0: Uh Right.
1: Uh, Until he comes back, this should be something that's ongoing in the church of God. Right. In the church of Christ, right? Right. Uh, Absolutely. It looks forward to the uh, marriage supper of the
0: land that we read about in Revelation chapter 19, Um, but it looks forward to that final consummation when Jesus, it looks forward to the bodily return of Jesus, right? Yeah. And so that we're still taking the the bread as a representation of the the body or symbol of the body. Right. Well, um, I think the Lord's Supper within the congregational life of the church in America um, seems to be one of those things um, that is left off, um, become less significant. You know, when I was growing up, we always did it at the end of the service where it just seemed like it was crowded or it seemed like that it was um, just kind of an additional thing uh, and, and and separate even from the proclaimed word. Yeah. And what we try to do, I think, is we try to
1: connect those two things. Yeah, we should. And that's yeah. why, especially, I know that we all, as elders, we all do it. You know, it, we take turns doing it. Right. But I know, like especially, you know, like you preached on the text this week before we did it. Yeah. Even when we don't preach necessarily on, on a text that's directly connected to it, um, like when I had the opportunity to do it not too long ago, I try to take a few minutes to, to, to spend teaching a little bit before we do it, because I, um, from my perspective... I think we do. We most of us grew up in in and a, the application was so. Um, well, there was no application. It was it was we didn't have anything to attach it to. It didn't right. have any foundation. It was something we did. Um, I'm not sure the pastors I grew up under had any real understanding of it at all. And so um, you grow up and you just don't know much. Well, we're called to more than that as as pastors and elders. We're right. called to to study and think and. And, and try to understand and then teach our people. And so we do that. I'm grateful for that here. And, and even, like I said, um, though I'm not the primary teaching pastor, when I have the opportunity to do the Lord's Supper, I want to spend, even if it's just five minutes, five minutes talking and connecting some of those dots. Right, because um, you can't really have the supper, I think,
0: in its proper place, in its proper priority, without... Um, the proclaimed word. You have the proclaimed word and then you have the supper and you tie those two together. That's why I like to, um, whatever the uh, whatever day that we're doing the Lord's Supper, I like to focus just on that. And I like to pick the music because you and I work with the music and we pick it. And I like to pick songs that, that speak just to that, Right. Um, the, the sacrifice of the, the Lord Jesus that we're celebrating. So we try to get, to tailor the
1: worship service around the bread and the cup. I know we tend to only do Hillsong and Bethel on those weeks. What's up with that, Jason? <laughs> <Brother>. <laughs> I'm teasing. Yes, I'm teasing. please.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, I think it's important to do that. I, 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 you know, we do it We do it 11 to 12, 10 to 11, 10 to 12 times a year. Yeah. And, um, this probably, um, my preference would be for us to think about doing it more, honestly. Yeah. Um, and um, when I was growing up, and a big part of my pastoral ministry, it was quarterly. Yeah. I look back in some records um, when I first came to Believer's Baptist Church, and we didn't have a facility, and we met in a, a, a community center and things like that. I, I can look back, and I was shocked. One year, uh, we did it one time for the whole year. Oh wow! One one time that we did the Lord's Supper, uh, I don't know that I understood the importance and the significance of it, and maybe I used logistics and circumstances as reasons and excuses not to do it. But sure, but I regret that. Yeah. Uh, now, aren't we glad for grace and growth? Right. 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 I mean, this is right. that's what. Well, anyway, I'm thankful for the, both of these ordinances that the Lord's given us. Uh, yeah. That to be able to see the Word um, enacted before us as we come to the Lord's table, as we uh, see the public profession of faith that people make as they have come to saving faith in Christ. um, again, hopefully this uh, podcast has been some of some help and encouragement, helping you to think about the Lord's Supper. One
1: more thing while oh, we're talking about this. Okay. I mean, we do call it the Lord's Supper, but it's often called communion. Yes. And um, that being said, I, I, or um, Eucharist, I mean, is really where it comes from, right? But um, I, I say all that because this isn't something that should be done at home. You know, it's amazing because I saw we during the pandemic, you know, you'd see people like doing virtual Lord's suppers and that kind of thing. You've missed the point. Right? What we do is we come together. We do this together. We celebrate together because what God purchased was a body, a people, a bride. And as His bride, as is gathered assembly of people that have been called out, right, th- th- we do it then together. It's a communion. We commune together um, as we understand who what, what Christ has done. Right. So I want to say that before we get away from it. One of the things it means is it's a it's a means of growing together in fellowship as well
0: right it's an ordinance given to the church yes not to us individually right not to us individually and i think we have to be careful i know it's popular to do communion at weddings in fact i i recently did a wedding yeah. when you attended yeah. and, uh, did the lord's supper for the couple as their first uh official act as husband and wife i don't know that it was sin it's my preference not to do
1: that yeah um and i, I did it for the couple um for whatever reason, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Though I think that if we're going to think about it rightly, what we need to realize is this isn't something that um, you know. Well, uh, to be a part of the church, you know, or if I'm going to be a part of the invisible church or whatever, you know, I'm, but uh, God's church, you know, we, well, one of the things is I got to take communion. Well, I've been baptized, but I'm hadn't been to church in months, but I take communion at home by myself. Hey, you've missed the point. That's not what it's not what this is about, right? Uh, which
0: brings up one question before, and uh-huh. we're trying to get off it. Um, is baptism a prerequisite for taking the Lord's Supper in your mind?
1: Um, Dead air is not good. Well, no, I understand it. <laughs> well, I'm going to say no, and I'm going to say no for here's a prime example. We Sunday we did the Lord's Supper. Yeah, we had a lady, as you said in a previous podcast, even today as we've been recording, we had a lady that that had um, that had recognized her sin. And needed to um, recognize her need for a Savior and had, had been marvelously and gloriously regenerated by right. Christ, right. right? Had come forward and made that clear. And she won't be baptized till next week. Right. And yet, what did we say to her? Please partake with us of the death and resurrection, right? right. Do this. We didn't say, you know, next month you'll be eligible. Right. We said no. You're in Christ partake right right um, so so I would say no it's not um, it's probably preferable I mean the evidence the, the visual evidence the other ordinance right that we belong to Christ that we've been that we're in the body is that we have been baptized right so uh, that is um, the, the visual evidence of that but, I mean, we don't believe in baptismal regeneration, not getting wet part anyway. Right? right? We right. we believe in the baptism it saves, that First Peter talks about, and that Romans six talks about. Uh, that our immersion, our connection to Christ, is what we're is how we're saved. Right, right? through faith in the finished work and so forth, our death and resurrection <laughs> with Him, but not the actually getting wet. So right. I would argue that she's been baptized right. into Christ, yes. and that will be evidenced by her going through the ordinance of baptism next week. Yes. But she has been baptized spiritually into Christ, into his death and his resurrection, and therefore she was eligible to partake of the Lord's Supper. So the answer is yes and no. Baptism is necessary, and it's not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> baptism in, in into Christ yes. uh, is
0: necessary because that proves that the person is a believer and you're welcome to come to the table. Yeah and then baptism through water ordinance to symbolize the death burial and resurrection of the old person and there's a resurrection of the new person yeah. is
1: is would not be a prerequisite no, no not not for not from my perspective especially in the context of what happened to us just this past week right sure and that's the way that I understood it at the in the moment too yeah. so um, I think that was right. I mean, you know, and, and like I said, you asked me that question point, you know, without any previous thought. But I think that's the way I would answer it. Yes and no. Right. Spiritually, yes. Physically, no. But preferred. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, we hope that um, this podcast has been, again, of some help to you. And certainly appreciate any way that you can uh, encourage us through reviews or shares. Uh, get on uh, the church website and you can go to our media tab and then you can scroll down and you can find the podcast and um, maybe this will be of uh, some encouragement some information to you to help understand the lord's supper better this was the 83rd episode and um, we'll come back Um, at the end of may and we will record again the june podcast and then in july there will be no new podcast and then we'll come back in august uh, and uh, record a podcast at that time well the lord bless you thank you for listening grace and
1: peace amen